This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. If you're new to us, we are in the middle of week four of our Daniel series, and uh, we're just going uh, basically verse by verse, and uh, the Lord is really challenging us. And I'd like for you to at least say to yourself, I, have, I am here to learn something new. Last week I gave you movie quotes uh, to make the point that you don't know everything about the movie based on some certain quotes. And maybe you know the story of the, of the three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace, but I'm gonna ask that you would begin to learn something new. I believe that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to you today. The second thing is, uh, I found that it is, this is anecdotal, this is my life experience speaking, that when you have an encounter with God in in your timeline of life, uh, a lot of the story will resonate with you and it will challenge you. If you've never really had an encounter with Jesus, maybe it's uh, because you've just always been part of a religious community, you've You've always gone to church, and you've always done this, and and it's just part of your culture. Uh, This is going to be tough. Uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel is tough. It's tough for anybody. It is tough for a fervent follower of Jesus, but if you're not really a fervent follower of Jesus, if you really haven't had that encounter with him, um, I would would encourage you to really ask the Lord to just, just make himself real to you, because uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew children are going to go through some things that I, I just is, can be overwhelming if you don't really know and you don't have a relationship with God. Because all of a sudden, things that you might thought, you thought might uh, happen in your life. Um, one of the songs that we sang, you know, God is, uh, I think the song about victory. I'm not sure, maybe uh, it was the second song. Uh, but victory comes in different uh, colors, all right? Uh, and we're going to see that victory will come in a, in a different shade and color here in Daniel than necessarily Dave and Goliath's story. That comes with the enemy being conquered. And, uh, and, and we, we like that story. We like that story when the enemy is conquered. But sometimes Jesus conquers by losing, right? That's why we, uh, we see that on the cross. So if we look at the cross, we think, well, that's not, a, that's not something that was conquered. But it was conquered when you have the bigger picture in mind. But I want to talk to you with chapter three. If you have your Bibles, we're going to cruise through it. My wife told me, don't go long today. Not that I ever go long, so I don't know why she said that to me. But chapter three, no fiery furnace needed. Right before that, last week we talked about how they were, uh, there was this decree came out and then the the Hebrew children did not bow down and now it's time uh, to meet the king. King Nebuchadnezzar. And last week we finished that standing up for God can be a lonely, lonely proposition. And I shared a story about what it felt like to be lonely. But can you imagine? I imagine at your workplace that when you make a stand for for Christ, all of a sudden it's like a a drop of oil in a water bucket. You'll see the water just, uh, just dissipate. And so standing up for God can be a lonely proposition. And uh, so, and people are watching. But today I want to talk to you about verse 13. This is what happens. What happens when you don't conform 
to bowing down to idols. And the verse will tell us in chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 13, 13, and Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down, one more chance and worship the statue. I have made you hear the sound of the musical entrance, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And if you notice the story, the king flies into a rage. He's appalled, he's shocked that these people would not obey the decree. And, and then he begs them, Lord, I'll give you another chance. I promise, if you don't do it, you're gonna die. And so he gives them another chance. And, and what did these three Hebrew children do? Look what it says in 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power your majesty. But if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, there will, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful passage. No, there's no doubt I will not worship your statue. And here's the thing that I just mentioned. These guys, these guys knew God. They knew him. It wasn't some abstract concept. It wasn't something they were just raised in culturally. They knew God. They knew something about his character. They knew something about his power, and they didn't, they didn't flinch. They didn't flinch. And here's the thing that I love about this story. They did not presume to know the outcome. You know, one of the things that kind of gets my goat a little bit, and it's never been done here, and when I hear ministers uh, demand something from God, like, you will do this, and you're going to do this, and, and then they bring out scriptures like, your promises say this, and, and, and I'm in the back of my mind, well, he was talking to a certain group of people, but, you know, I, I don't want to cause uh, uh, any waves, but again, these people, these three men did not presume to predict the outcome, what it was going to do, and so they knew that God is capable of anything that he desires. He can, he can let them go through the furnace or he can save them after the uh, furnace. So it was God's choice. And they were going to glorify him no matter what. Right? Again, let me just challenge you this, this morning. Um, and I'm probably going to say it again. They didn't shake their fist at God and say, why me? These three Hebrew children, in a lot of ways, are innocent. They didn't do anything. Remember from week one when we talked about how the Hebrew children were warned and if they were being disobedient and the king was being disobedient, that they would be uh, driven into captivity. And so they could have been mad at their ancestors for being disobedient, mad at God for being unjust. But their situation was their calling. And if you can't remember anything else, remember that. Your situation is your calling. Well, maybe you don't understand my situation, Pastor. That's your calling. That is your calling. 
You know, well, I don't like the situation I'm in. Well, be used in that situation. Be used in that situation. There are times when you wonder, and I have thought this, and I'm not sometimes as, as uh, faithful as these children are. I have it like, God, why is this happening? This seems so unfair. And then God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he, he says, Mario, I want you to thrive in the circumstances that you're in. Thrive, that's your ministry. What the situation you're in is your ministry. Too many of us want to get out of our circumstances. And you're saying, well, you know, I, I remember this as young people, and, and maybe you've, those of you who are younger than me we would remember. It's like, you know, I'm going to really serve you when, if I go into the ministry full time. If I could just do this full time, I'm really going to serve you. And, and the Lord will say to you, if you're thinking that, your ministry is the situation you're in right now. You know, somehow you think that getting, going into ministry is going to uh, solve things. My situation as being a minister, I have to, I have to recognize this situation. I mean, there are times where I'm like, a uh, long, long time ago, I, I, um, I was confident enough to build a swimming pool. And uh, not competent, but confident. And uh, by God's grace, I finished it. But I remember thinking, I just, I need a break from ministry. And so I want to build my, I'm going to build this pool during the summer, and it's going to get my mind off of my current situation. And so in the middle of building my pool a month in, I remember thinking, Lord, I just want to go back to the ministry. And because, again, I'm always thinking that somehow the pastor's greener. If I can just get that, if I can just go do that, if I can find myself in this other situation, I will uh, somehow I'll be able to, to really be used by God. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego knew God was sovereign, and they were going to glorify him no matter what. So live or die, they are going to be faithful. A few things I want you to just recognize. God does, here's, I love this, and I've said this in the past. God does not promise, promise us to give us grace to face all that we think we might go through. You know, sometimes we can over, like, over get anxious, and, 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 um, and I know sometimes my, my mom watches, and hopefully she can't understand me if I talk really fast, uh, but sometimes she can worry about the situations that might occur, and then she can begin to unfold the circumstances, what might happen. God gives us grace for the things that we are in, not what we can always imagine, because our imaginations can go wild. Amen, anybody? Yes. So remember this, that God promises to give us grace to face what we are actually going through. And, and grace is not something that we store up like, you know, like the children try to store up manna. You couldn't. It's grace is for, for the circumstances we're in. We need grace every day. I know I need grace every day. Each day I need grace. And I imagine you do too. Now, are we in the same situation of these three Hebrew children? Just think about it. Are we? Not really. We are and we're not. Here in the good old U.S. of A., we don't have to bow down to statues. However, jokingly, when I have guests in town, I'll drive them by the stadium. So this is where Tallahassee comes to worship. It hasn't been the last few years, but typically that's where uh, we come to worship. We don't have golden statues to uh, bow down to. No, our statues are different. They come in the form of pleasures and desires. They're not of God. 
We struggle, right, with the society's norms of, of language. I play uh, a, an adult league soccer, and, and I play with professional people who are, are high-end in, in their business and in their jobs. Uh, but you would think, t- t- listening to them, that they are in, you know, still in high school. The language is very different uh, with these. It's, sometimes I'm just shocked at the language. And so in our situation, even the norms of language, we could, we could feel the difference. Uh, uh, the humor of our culture, uh, the, the comfort, the attitude. This, this world tells us this. This world tells us this. You will find blessings if you bow down to your pleasures. You are going to find blessings. You're going to find life. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, if you bow down, you get to live. You get to live and, uh, and live life to its fullness. And this world says the same thing. If you bow down, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get life. You're going to get life to its fullness. You know, uh, they tell you all sorts of things. Whatever pleases you, just be true to yourself. And you have to bow down to that. Uh, or, or love is love. And, and I kept thinking, no, God is love. God is love. And so, but we live in a culture where it says, well, you just got to bow down to that. You got to bow down to that, that idea. And so we don't bow down to golden images that are 90 feet tall. But we are under pressure, are we not, to bow down. And so if the, te- the world tells us if you do what they tell us to do, you're going to find a blessing. So the golden image represents, what does it represent? When you think it through and you peel it back, what does the golden image represent? It represents that you're going to get life, respect, admiration. Young kids go through all the time. They go through all this in school. Can you imagine what it's like to be isolated in high school? Some of you might be able to remember that. It's tough, right? You, you're, the pressure is to what? To fit in. Not to stand out, not to be isolated. Uh, so the pressure, maybe you're in high school or young college, is to bow down to the, the cultural norms. And being part of the crowd is ultimate. Because if you don't bow down to the crowd, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace of what? Mockery. People will mock you. They'll ridicule you. Uh, maybe even isolated. You're not going to be invited to the social uh, uh, parties that they might have. I remember, and I, and, I, and I know we have just one little child in here, but I remember, I mean, this is 1982, when uh, this one girl in, in our high school mentioned that she was a virgin. I'm, I literally, uh, there was a group of kids, friends of mine, guys, that just laughed at her. They just laughed because that's not the norm. And in that culture, you have to bow down to, to being promiscuous. Or at least being, uh, you know, being able to say that you've, you've, been, uh, you've had sex before. And so being a virgin in high school is, or in college, you know, some of the, when we had college ministry with Chi Alpha, some of the students, you know, uh, they were just, they just were almost embarrassed to say that they were a virgin in college. Why would they be embarrassed? Because of the cultural norm. And they didn't want to be isolated. And the world says, listen, well, that's old-fashioned, that's crazy, that's, what are you thinking? You're not giving yourself to your fleshly desires. You're missing out. And that's what the idol says. If you don't bow down, you are going to miss out. 
I have this slide here, the, the inner circle. I don't know if it's up there, it is. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about the idolatry of the inner circle. He says the power of this idol is, such, is so powerful, it is so powerful, it, it's skillful in making men who are not very bad to do very bad things. Let me repeat that. This is C.S. Lewis' quote. He says, the power of this idol is such that it is skillful in making man who is not yet very bad man to do very bad things. The desire to be part of the inner circle. You know, maybe you wouldn't, normally wouldn't do something, but because you want to be part of a social circle, you'll go ahead and do that. Many times as pastors, especially pastors of small congregations like ours, we're, we fall under this pressure of the inner circle. Let me just share a little bit of my challenge with you. Because there's not a pastor that I don't know. There's a pastor I don't know that doesn't want the respect and the admirations of their peers. Every week I get an email. And the, typically the title is How to Grow Your Church. And somehow they have my email. I don't know how they, what, what do they know, right? Somehow they know to, to call me. Every day I get an email. How to grow your church. How to be successful. What are they saying? They're saying, Mari, you gotta get with the program. Your church is not where it needs to be. You are not where you need to be. And if you follow these, these certain steps, you get to be part of the inner circle. I, I get this every week, and you probably get this every week too. Some sort of email that says, hey, if you do this, you will be part of the inner circle. Churches that are, are 100 or less are pitiful in our culture, meaning they are looked down upon. Not that the churches are pitiful, but we're looked down upon. Because why we will, churches of, of a, less than 100, less than 250, it's probably now less than 500, you're not gonna get invited to speak at conferences. It'll never happen. So we think it's them, but that pressure to bow and kowtow to external pressures, to be part of the inner circle. See, if you have a church of 1,000, you've arrived. I, I you know, listen, I'm, I'm telling the dirty secrets of ministry life, but I know pastors who struggle emotionally because they're not part of that 1,000-person church circle. They struggle with it because somehow that 1,000 mark means that you're part of the inner circle, that you have arrived. So we may not have a golden statue that we bow to, but there are so many things that make and want us to bow down and cow down to. A few years ago, I'm gonna just be vulnerable again. A few years ago, my nephew, Kyle, um, literally right out of college, 20, you know, 23, 24 years old, he lands a, um, uh, a pretty nice gig. He's a worship leader of a mega church. And I say mega church, is like over 3,000. And I remember him at a family event asking me, Uncle Mario, how big is Mosaic Church? And I remember thinking, 
and, and I didn't, it came, it caught me off guard. I was embarrassed to tell him. And the Lord asked me, why are you embarrassed? And that was a good question to ask, right? Why are you embarrassed? I was embarrassed to talk to him about it. Here's this young kid, probably, probably making more money than me, ministering to more people than me, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm arriving up to my 30th year in ministry. Because why? Because even part of me wants to be part of that inner circle. I want to be part of that inner circle. I want, somehow I think that that inner circle means that somehow I've arrived. You know, you get the respect of your peers or the respect of your, of your parents. Maybe some of you dealing with that. You just want dad somehow to give you the double thumbs up and you can be part of that inner circle of acceptance. All of us have struggles with, with bowing down to idols. How about this? Do you ever feel like you need to be in the inner circle of how much money you make? Isn't there someone that you know makes more money than you? And somehow you know them really well. You know, uh, uh, someone who, you know, if you start sharing your, your salary to a friend that makes three times as much, it can be a little like, you know, you don't want to talk about it, do you? Or the house, or where you live. Or how big your house is. These are all pressures. And there's nothing wrong with having a big house and making a good living. But all of us feel that pressure to just to cow down to it. So the question I have for you and me, what other idols are being, are temp, we're tempted with to bow down and to, to obey every day? Appetite. The excess of food. How about the, the idol of fear of failing? How about the idol of uncontrolled bursts of anger? Are, are, are you a person who's easily offended? If you ask yourself, if I'm easily offended, why is that the case? Why is the case? You, you have to ask the Lord to just peel back those layers. There's a reason. This morning, and I would hate to think this, and I wrote this down, but I, I may be naive as a pastor, okay? And I think I am. I, I, I think one of my faults is I'm too nice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my, my uh, what is it? My, uh, what is it? My strengths are, or, let's move on. But some of you, statistics tells me this. And I'm struggling to say it. But some of you will bow down and worship Jesus this morning and then bow down and worship your sexual satisfaction on the internet tonight. Or maybe you'll bow down to Jesus this morning and then tonight you'll bow down to unrealistic romantic daydreams. That's just symptomatic of something deeper, isn't it? It's the idea that if we don't give in to what we think will bring life, that somehow we're going to miss out. If I don't, if I don't get my point across by being this angry person, then somehow I'm going to miss out what 
I really want to accomplish. Or if I, don't, if, if I don't click those buttons on the internet, I'm going to miss out on something. The spirit of uh, a fear of missing out. And it's a spirit. And if we miss out, and if, and if we feel like we're going to miss out, then we feel like we're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace of frustration. Tonight, guess what? When you go home, I mean, the, the Hebrew children were threatened, basically, at gunpoint. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. For too many of us, we don't even need a gun to make us buckle our knees to temptation. No fiery furnace needed. We don't need it. You're not going to understand why someone might denounce Christ if I'm going I'm to mow down your family. I, I can see that. Bow down. I can see, I can empathize with someone like that. But for us, Tonight, no fiery furnace will be threatened. No, no one's going to hurt you tonight if you don't bow down. But sadly, the enemy knows that we don't need that. No gun will be pointed to our head. No fiery furnace needed. And somehow we will convince ourselves, if the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene, that we're going to miss out if we don't act out. We're going to miss out if I don't do it. Too many of us are not like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Too many of us easily bow down to the idol of self. This is what happens when you don't bow down, and I'll be done in about five minutes. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious, verse 19, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Why? He didn't want to lose face. If you ever suffer with anger, like, I'm still, uh, in my family, I'm still ranked at top, top five. I'm trying to get to the bottom five. Or somebody just said top three. Uh, they don't remember, but I used to be top one. What is it that forced me into this anger? So they, they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, and robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had de demanded such a hot, fiery furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Here is the irony of all ironies. It's tied to Matthew 16, 25. The irony is, if you obey King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to live. And if you obey God, you're going to die. But in actuality, it's the opposite. In verse 16, chapter 16, 25 of Matthew, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The challenge isn't, can God, can God uh, save these three Hebrew children? That's, we know he's capable of that. Can this king, can this idol save its servants? 
And we know, and it's one of my favorite sayings I haven't said in a while, but false gods never fail to fail. Last, not least, we're almost done. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right, but at the end there is death. Seems right does not equal is right. Proverbs 14, 12. Our idols are false. They are liars. So tonight, when you're being tempted to go on the internet, listen to the Holy Spirit. It is lying to you. It's lying to you of the cost. Well, it's just going to cost you five minutes. No, it's not. The enemy never tells you. You think you know the cost. Think of it as of a, a... a 30-year mortgage, and you're only going to pay the first payment. He never tells you the full cost. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right, but at the end, there is death. False idols never deliver on its promises or its judgments they threaten us with, just like the king. Look what it says in verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his wives, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty. We certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looked like a god. We don't have time to talk about whether it was Jesus or an angel. All I know is this. It was a physical demonstration of God's presence with the believers in distress. And that's why I said earlier in our service, your presence is our reward. Not that they make it out of the furnace, but his presence, his physical presence is with us no matter what circumstances you are in, your fiery furnace life. And all of us are there. There's not a person in here that hasn't lived a fiery furnace life to different varying degrees. It's a physical demonstration of God's presence with the believers in their distress. 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out on fire Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. But listen, the promise was not that God would take them outside of the problem. On the contrary, tribulation was expected. First Peter, uh, Acts 14, 22, 1 Peter 1 and 6 and 7. Tribulation was the anticipated path for God's saints. They don't say here, why me, if you're going through it. The last thing I love in the last post is Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us in our fiery furnace situation. Jesus goes through this earth and experiences pressures and temptations to bow down. You know the story when Satan himself tries to to offer the whole world 
But Jesus does go through the fiery furnace, doesn't he? He goes through the hellish cross so that we can call on his name and believe and follow him and that we don't have to pass through the fiery furnace of eternal separation. Jesus goes through it for us. Jesus trying to bring his people together. Remember from last week, I told you that that the, the, the statue, the 90-foot statue was built in the same place that the Tower of Babel was being built. King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to bring everybody in unison under his kingship, what the Tower of Babel tried to do. But Jesus does it under the cross, amen? Bringing the world together. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar prays to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent angels to rescue his servants and trust them. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, religion, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Last thing. The miracle of miracles is that only God can change our hearts. Too many will hear the message of the cross and won't do anything about it, but God can do something. This morning, and I'm ending here, my wife said, don't go long. Are we willing to only bow our knee? We literally sang a song about bowing our knee to, to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you, are you willing to make a commitment? Now, I know some of you can't do this, but we have kneelers in, in front of you, and you probably never used them, but they, what you do is you pull them out, and you kneel on them. And then, but I'd like for us to, to put ourselves in a posture that we're going to kneel before Jesus. If Bryce, if you could come up. We're gonna kneel before Jesus, and it's gonna be symbolic. We're saying we are not going to kneel to the idols that are always tempting us in our lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If we can go ahead and place ourselves in a posture. And if you don't want to, I'm not looking. Uh, you don't have to. I just want to give you that opportunity. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would begin to show us those areas in our lives that are, are, Lord, we bow down to you too easily. No, no, no gun needed, no fiery furnace. Just a tiny little spark can cause us to, to bow down to certain attitudes and, and jealousy and anger. Lord, we might bow down in powerless maybe even discouraged, but Lord, we ask for your power to help us. Holy Spirit, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and Lord, help us to live victorious life that we would not bow down to anything or anyone other than our King Jesus. Lord, we bow down this morning, not, not just this morning, but every morning, every afternoon, and evening. We bow down to you this morning. We bow down to you, Jesus. Lord, we say thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, give us, give us that supernatural strength to only bow down to you. We love you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.